0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, open to Luke chapter 4. Or turn on your phone to Luke chapter 4, whichever is the most convenient way for you to find the scripture. Luke chapter 4 is, uh, is where we'll be. If you're visiting with us again, as we said earlier, uh, thank you for being here. You could have been somewhere else, and we're, uh, we're honored to, uh, to have you with us. Well, today is, uh, is an exciting day. We're beginning a new series, and Uh, I'm really excited about the the next several weeks and what we're going to be talking about. You can see on the screen that it's titled, Give Me Jesus. You know, there's a lot of stuff that is going on in our world. There are a lot of voices that are speaking. A lot of uh, voices that are vying for our attention. And what I want more than anything in my life, I don't always have it, but the, the voice that I need to hear more than anybody else is that of the voice of Jesus. Are you with me? And that's what we need. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. We're going to be looking specifically at the teachings of Jesus. Now, the teachings of Jesus are not altogether real easy to listen to because they're challenging to us. He is showing us how we are to live our lives. And if we are going to be a follower of Christ there are certain things that we must do. There are certain ways we must act and there are things that we might need to eliminate from our lives. There are things that we might need to, to add to our lives. And so for the next few weeks, what our goal is, is to as closely as we can follow in the dust of the rabbi. Follow close behind him and let his teachings transform us and reshape our lives. That's what we're going to be talking about for uh, for the next few weeks and uh, we're going to be looking at, at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at some of the parables of Jesus and just these things that He came and He brought to His people before He went to the cross and I think it's just going to be really relevant to, to, to today. But today, today we're uh, talking about a subject that all of us can probably appreciate, that all of us need and that is the subject of of grace Is anybody else in need of grace in their life besides me absolutely good so I'm glad we're on the on the same page you know it was my dad who first shaped my understanding of grace now then, I don't know that he intentionally set out to do that I don't know that when he dealt with me he was thinking well this is so you know later in life he'll understand have a grasp of grace I think it was just the way that he operated and the way that he dealt with us as 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 kids. And I remember the first time I really began to grasp grace. I was in the 7th grade. And it was the middle of the semester, it was like the 9 weeks. And so it was time to get our report cards, or our 9 week report and they gave us these little cards and we would go around to each teacher and they would they would fill in the grade now then i've shared with you before that when i was growing up i did not have a whole lot of interest in school i just i wasn't interested in it i had okay grades i, I made average grades but it wasn't something that i was particularly interested in i would have much rather been playing ball been outside been asleep been anywhere than than sitting in a classroom and consequently you know i never had great great I had grades that were okay, grades that would get you by, and I was, you know, I was okay with that. Sometimes it bothered me, uh, but most of the time it didn't. But I had a younger brother who could make straight A's in his sleep. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else had a sibling that did that? Man, I hate them. You know, they just—he just didn't even have to try. He didn't have to crack a book. He didn't have to do any homework. He could like sneeze and make an A you know get an A and sneeze it did not matter he always made straight A's and I remember you know not not only could he make straight A's he was like county spelling bee champion all of these things and I'm nothing he's coming home with the uh, you know the uh, my 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 kids and honor student at Oak Grove Elementary School bumper sticker the back of our van was covered in those things okay none of them were mine no and, and you know and I'm glad you can laugh at my pain none of them none of them were mine they were all his and I remember I was going I was taking my uh my card to my teachers and the first period I got a B I was like all right that's that's pretty good next period there's another B third period Jim there's an A I can get I can handle that one got an A doing pretty well lunch A plus you know it rolled on into 7th period and by the time I went to 7th period I had all A's and B's I was going to bring home the record report card of my life and I strolled up to the teacher and I handed her my card I was confident that this was it this was going to be my year or whatever it was she wrote in the grade I turned to walk back to my desk and right there in huge black ink was the letter F in English my native tongue and I couldn't believe it I could not believe it I'd failed a class now then, my parents were were not the kinda parents that demanded straight A's but you know they did have the reasonable expectation that we pass our classes I mean that's reasonable enough right and here I am I have made an F in English this is the first F I'd ever made. Now, I, I, had, I had made average grades before, but this is the first time I'd ever failed a class. And that one huge F staring me in the face wiped out all the joy of the other six classes. And so I went home, and I was scared to death because I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was going to get it. I knew I was going to get grounded. I knew I was going to get lectured. I was going to lose probably some freedoms until I, I got this grade up. My brother is excited because he's got his all-A report card. I wanted to punch him in the face because he's showing it to me and I just wanted to you know, make him eat it. And we sit down at the dinner table. I'm not saying a word, and I am just praying that they don't ask. We make it almost through dinner, and my brother says, Hey, got my report card. They look at it. yay, another sticker. Whoop-dee-doo. All right, Jason, where's your report card? And so I pulled it out, and I, I, handed, it, I handed it to my dad. And I remember he just, he, he picked it up, and he, and he looked at it. And I'm just, I mean, I'm sitting back, and I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting, because I know that what's coming is, is not, is, not going to be good. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I, I, I'm preparing myself for what's coming. And he just looked over at me and he said, son, he says, I, I couldn't be more proud of this report card uh, than if it was all A's and B's. And it was like everything changed. I, I knew what I deserved. I knew I deserved to be in trouble because I, I guess I hadn't worked hard. But it was in that moment when my dad said, you know what? I'm 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 proud of you. you, you, you yeah, you blew it. But I still love you and I'm still proud of you. Man, do you know what that did for my self-esteem? I went back, by the end of the nine weeks, I'd pulled that grade up to a B. Now, I failed everything else trying to do it, but <laughs> no, I didn't. But no, I had pulled it, to, I pulled it up to a B. But it was in that moment that I had this, this understanding of what grace is. That it's something good that you get for doing something terrible in a way. That it's undeserved favor. And it was my dad in that moment when I was a 7th grader that taught me about grace, maybe for the first time in my life. And I think I'd probably heard about grace, but that's the first time I'd ever experienced grace. Man, doesn't that feel good when you experience grace? Now then, let me tell you another story that my dad taught me about grace. In our neighborhood where we grew up, there were about five different neighborhoods that were all connected. And things then are not like things now where we could ride our bikes all over the place. You know what I'm talking about? You remember those days? You're nodding your head. You don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) We could ride our bikes all over the place as long as we were home by when the streetlights came on. Remember that? That's when we had to be home. And so that's what we did. We took full advantage. Maybe that's why I didn't pass English. But for whatever reason, I was home studying being a studious son and got a knock on the door. And it was my neighbor, and he said, Hey, do you know your brother? Uh, your brother's out on Hamby Road? I just passed him. He's on his bicycle. Hamby Road was outside the, the zone that we were allowed to, to be in. And it was a dangerous road. It was real curvy uh, and um, kind of narrow and a lot of traffic on it. And I knew we were not supposed to be there. And my neighbor said, Hey, your brother's out there. And I was so concerned. I said, Thank you so much. You know, I'm really appreciative of you telling me. I shut the door and I went, Yes, I've got him. I have finally got this kid because he was my little brother. You know, I had two of them. And if you had younger siblings, you know their job is to make your life miserable. If the older sibling, they always want to tag along. And, you know, I'm always getting in trouble and they're always getting away with stuff that I always got in trouble with. And so finally, here is my moment. The golden boy is caught. And I think I have got him. Thank you, God, for this gift. Well, he comes rolling up the driveway about an hour later, comes in the house and says, hey, I know where you've been. No. I said, you've been on Hamby Road. How do you know that? So said, don't worry about how I know it. I just know it. And guess what? I'm telling Can't wait till dad gets on. And I remind him every little bit. Hour till dad gets home. Thirty more minutes. Five minutes. He's going to be here soon. You better make your last request because I have got you. Finally, my dad comes rolling in the driveway. My brother is gone. Here is nowhere, and I'm just standing at the door, just awaiting. Hey, Dad. Welcome home. Guess what? Micah was on Hamby Road. He was on Hamby Road and he wasn't supposed to be there. And he said, what? He was on Hamby Road? And I, he said, yes. I said, yes, he was on Hamby Road. Hey, know that? Well, the neighbor told me. And he says, okay, go get your brother. I said, okay, you want me get you a belt, switch while I'm out? I mean, I can, I can grab those things for you. I'm here to serve. Whatever I can do. He says, no, just... Just go get your brother. Guess what? Dad wants you. Let's go. And it's like I am leading him to his execution. And I'm just savoring every moment because he had gotten me so many times. He had got me in so much trouble as a younger brother. And this was my moment of vindication. The day of reckoning had arrived. This was it, and he was going to get his. And we walked in there, and my dad says, Micah, were, were you riding your bicycle on Hamby Road? He says, yeah. And my dad says, son, did you happen to notice if Miss Green is home? Because I need to give her some tomatoes from the garden." I said, what? He says, look, you know you're not supposed to be riding on Hamby Road. I need you to not do that again. Go ahead. I could not believe it. All the times that I had gotten in trouble, all of the things that I had been grounded for because of him, all of those moments where I just wanted to strangle him and I. Finally had him where I wanted, where he was finally going to be the one getting in trouble and not me, and he got off clean. And you think, well, wait a minute. Well, what is that about grace that you learned? I learned that sometimes grace can be offensive because what he deserved was to be grounded and lose his bike and be in all kinds of trouble, yet he was not. And it was kind of the same thing, but it was a a, a the different side of grace that I began to, to understand from my dad. And, and looking back, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for, for those lessons. Have you ever received grace that you didn't reserve, didn't deserve? Anybody? Ever received grace that you didn't deserve? And, and what is that like when someone bestows that kind of grace on you when you know you've blown it, you know you don't deserve it? Man, that's a a good feeling. But have you ever been on the other side? When you became upset because others didn't get justice, they received grace? Have you ever been on that side of it? It's in those moments that you realize that grace, it, it can also be offensive. Sin is offensive to God. But our God is gracious. Yes or no? And He is so gracious that He sent His Son to die for the offense of sin that we have committed. That's how great our God is. That's how great Jesus is. And so, as we begin this new series called Give Me Jesus, I couldn't think of a better place to begin than right here in Luke chapter 4. As he begins to teach, he teaches. He begins to teach the people about grace. In chapter 3, he's been baptized, and then he immediately goes out into the desert. For 40 days, he is withstood. The temptation of Satan. And then he comes back and he begins his, his ministry in Capernaum. And things are great. and reputation of Jesus and His greatness and the things that He has done and are doing begin to spread. They have heard about the miracles that He has done. They have heard about the people that He has healed. They have heard about the demons that he has cast out. And then in verse 16, we read that Jesus came to Nazareth. This is the hometown of Jesus. Let's read together starting in 16. It says, He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. As usual, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Him and unrolling the scroll, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's an incredible reading of Scripture. Jesus is in His hometown synagogue, possibly the synagogue that He attended as a young Jewish boy the synagogue where he would have learned the Torah, where he would have learned the Scriptures himself, and he is back home in his hometown. It's like the, it's like the, the boy making good and, and, and coming, home, coming back home to, 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 to be the conquering hero. And so he comes in and he grabs that sacred scroll and he opens it up to what we would call Isaiah chapter 62 verses 1 and 2. And he reads the prophecy. That they are so familiar with that they know, that they know is is, is talking uh, about good things to, to come. And he opens it up. And Jesus says, The Spirit is on me. And he gives them his, his five fold mission. He says, I'm here to preach the good news to the poor. I'm here to proclaim freedom to the captives. I'm here to give recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's, that's talking about a, a, an Old Testament thing that took place. You read about it in, in Leviticus 25. We know it as the, the year of jubilee. Every seven years, every seven years, the land would be given a rest. It would be given a Sabbath period. They followed the the same pattern that God lived in. He created for six days and He rested on the seventh. And being they were an agrarian culture, they would farm for six years and then they would take the seventh year off and they would let the land rest. They would let it recover and regain (coughs) some of its nutrients. They did this every seven years. Well, on the 50th year, they refer to that as the year of jubilee. The year of the, the favor of the Lord. And what it was designed to do, its, it's main purpose was to balance the, the economic system. And what happened during that year of jubilee is that slaves were freed. Uh, property that had been lost or had to be sold to take care of a debt reverted back to the original owners, to the original owners family, and any debt that you might have was absolutely canceled. That sounds like a great year, doesn't it? The year of Jubilee. Jesus stands up and He grabs this scroll. He reads it to them. Then verse 20 says, He rolled up the scroll, He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on Him, and He began saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? He's saying the spiritual Jubilee has begun. Jesus applies. Jesus applies this, this passage from Isaiah. He applies this to his ministry in a in a physical and in a spiritual sense. He is bringing the good news of salvation to, to bankrupt sinners. He is bringing healing to the, to the brokenhearted and to the rejected people of the world. This is the year of Jubilee. He is bringing restoration. Restoration into their lives. Imagine what it would have been like to sit in that synagogue on that day and hear Jesus stand up and unroll the scroll and begin to read from it and then to hear him say as you're listening to this this scripture is taking place it is being fulfilled this this right here this is what I came to do now then notice verse 22 They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? It was like, oh, oh wait, wait a minute. That, we know who that is. That, that's, that's, that's Joseph's boy. That's, that's Mary's boy. And it was almost as if, as Jeff Walling puts it, a, a shift takes place in Nazareth from amazement to almost, oh yeah, yeah, we know who that is. That's that's just Jesus. Oh, God forgive us for ever saying it's just Jesus. But there's this shift that takes place and they, they wouldn't, listen to him and there's a there's a there's a takeaway from that verse from that verse 22 there and it's simply this being amazed being amazed by Jesus isn't the same thing as being convinced does that make sense being amazed at Jesus isn't the same thing as as being converted to Jesus Verse 23, Then He said to them, No doubt, you'll quote this proverb to me, Doctor, heal yourself. All we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your, in your hometown. In other words, it's, it's, it's as if they're saying, Look, that, that's great. We know what you're saying. That's great. But we've heard what you're doing. We want to see you do a miracle. We're not interested in what you have to say. We want to see what you can do. Show us. Show us something. And it's then that he begins to, to teach. And it's right here that you see them become offended at the grace that he's fixing to talk about. He pulls two examples from the Old Testament. He refers back to two prophets, to, uh, to the prophet Elijah and to his successor, Elisha. And in, and in doing so, what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm on the level with these guys. I'm also a prophet. And he says, "Look, years ago, during Elijah's day, in the land there was a lot of widows, but there was only one widow Elijah was sent to, and she was from Zarephath in Sidon. She was not a Jew." Then he says, "And during Elisha's day, there were a lot of lepers, but Elisha only helped one. He was a commander of an army. His name was Naaman and he was a Syrian. He was the commander of an enemy army. Yet that's who thats who Elisha was sent to. What Jesus is, is saying is that my grace is for all mankind. It's for everybody. Yeah, you're the Jews. You're God's chosen people. That's great. But you know what? You're not the only ones I'm here for. Because keep in mind how they're probably hearing this story. What is the filter that they are hearing Isaiah 61, uh, 1 and 2 through? We've come to proclaim freedom to the captives. We've come to set free the oppressed, they're seeing that, they're hearing that through the filter of Roman oppression. Jesus is going to come and clear out all of that stuff. He's going to set us free and right here Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not about that. I'm here to bring grace and love and mercy to to all of mankind. Verse 28 says, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. And I'm pretty sure that the reason they're enraged is is not because Jesus refused to do a miracle, but because they think He's got the story wrong. I think they're upset because He's shown up and said, the God that they've followed their entire life is going to save everybody. Or is at least going to try to. Is going to open his grace to, to all people. And because of that, many Jews they missed, they missed the blessing. They were offended by the, the grace of, of Jesus and they missed out on the blessing. You know, and, uh, there are still people today, there are still Jews today that don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. He was a great man. He was a wonderful rabbi. He might have been a prophet, but he's not the Son of God. In fact, Jesus is even going to say later on in the book of Luke, he's going to say, you, you missed the time of the visitation. Jesus says, I came to give sight to the blind. That's not just physical sight, although we know he did that. He was trying to give spiritual sight to the blind as well. Yet as you see, there were people that, and and as you look through the accounts of Jesus, there are times where Jesus could do no great miracles because the people wouldn't bring Jesus the miracles that needed to be done. They chose to stay in their blindness. They chose to stay in their captivity. So, so they got up and they drove him out of town. They brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd. He went on his way. It wasn't time for Jesus to die yet. You see, and sometimes I think we can become angry, or I know that I have in my life. I've, I've been angry when someone received grace when I thought they should have received justice. What I've learned about grace in Jesus is this. And I've said this before. To the one who extends it grace is expensive to the one who receives it, it is priceless to the one who doesn't understand it it's offensive does that make sense that's what you see going on here in Nazareth. They're expecting something from Jesus. They are expecting Jesus as Messiah to come in and to free them from their, their physical oppression. And Jesus is coming in and saying, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to free you from your spiritual oppression. I'm here to show you a better way of life, a different way of living. I'm here to show you the way, the truth, and the And that nobody can come to the Father unless they come through me. And I came to bring all of that to all of the world. And praise God, He did. Because if He didn't, none of us would be sitting here. You realize that? You realize that we sit here this morning Because of the grace of God. It is an act of grace that we get up every day. It is an act of grace that we get to worship. It is an act of grace that we can give our lives to Jesus and be brought into the kingdom of God. We are the branch that is grafted in because we are Gentiles. But Jesus grafted us into the vine. What did what did he say? And was it John fifteen? I am the true vine, and we get grafted into. We get grafted into that. What we realize is that none of us deserve grace. All of us deserve, all of us deserve death. And so, what I would say the the, the point of the message. Is. And you know, you, you, you probably, like me, you've probably come in contact with people and uh, you've seen them receive a, a measure of grace and just, you know, I, I know that there are times before I've said, you see somebody come in church, you kind of know what their past is. You're like, what in the world are they doing here? What are they thinking? Well, they're thinking they probably need as much grace as I need. And so I think the point that Jesus is is trying to make is that we must embrace the offensive grace that He offers. And we have to offer grace to those that we come in contact with. We have to show them the love of Jesus. We have to show them what it means to to follow after Him. It doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean the people we're going to come in contact with are going to be completely acceptable to that in fact they may be downright hostile to that but we have to be gracious we have to continue to show them and point them point them to Jesus and let Jesus let Jesus change let Jesus change their hearts I'll tell you a story is a true story Heard it a few years back Um, Was a businessman, married for a number of years, loved his wife, loved his family, went on a a business trip, and during a, uh, a weak moment of passion, ended up having an affair with a female co-worker. And immediately the guilt set in. He was devastated. He couldn't, believe, he couldn't believe what he had done. He could not believe that he had given Satan such a foothold and that he had basically destroyed everything. And the guilt was too much, and he, so he, he picked up the phone, he called his wife, and he told her what happened. And she said, well, come home. And so he, he does, and I don't know if he flew or had to drive or either, either way, but you can imagine as he's, as he's driving home, he is thinking about the choice that he made. Knows what he deserves. He has destroyed his marriage. He may have destroyed his family. Uh, he's probably destroyed his, his reputation within the church and within his, his community because of the, the choice that he's made. He may not get to see his, his kids again. He pulls in the driveway expecting to see his clothes burned it, it at best may be thrown outside but they're not he pulls in the driveway He collects himself and he goes to the door and his wife meets him at the door she brings him into the to the living room and, and, and he sits down on the couch and she gets across the coffee table and just kinda of kneeling on the floor and you know he just sits down and puts his his, his head in his hands and he is ready for her to unload with both barrels. And he knows he deserves everything she's fixing to throw at him. And after a moment or two, he lifts his head. And she begins to pray. And she served him communion. There was bread and there was wine on the table. And she served her husband, who had done this horrible thing, communion. Now that's an act of grace. And if you're concerned about the woman doing it, then it might be that you've missed the point. None of us deserve the grace that we receive. But Jesus offers it to us. And so that's why we're, we're spending this time trying to follow after Jesus, wanting to, to learn from Him. so that we can learn how to live and be gracious to those that that we come in contact with. Lord, when I am alone, and when I am alone, and when I am alone, give me Jesus. and when i come
1: to die in
0: all the craziness that's in the world and when and all the I strange come things and die, the practices that tries to push on us and when I and all the come evil and the die, hatred that is being inflicted me upon people jesus. and all the anxiety and the loneliness and the depression that racks people's lives give me jesus Give me Jesus. In all the addiction that slowly and painfully pulls you people to their graves. All In all the sickness and disease. World. All the bondage, spiritual blindness, blindness, and sin. This world. In all the pain Jesus. and brokenness. Jesus. Give me Jesus. if we can baptize you in the grace of Jesus Christ today, if we can help you, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?